Do not attempt to adjust the picture. The thin Shaq that played in Orlando was the <laughs> fastest runner down the court that I ever seen in my No, seriously, he was so greedy for the buckets, bro. He was like, just throw it anywhere near, like Randy Moss. I'm throwing a Hail Mary, and he's just going to get it. We are controlling transmission. WRTS After Party. We run the station. Obviously, we're talking about MJ mostly, but real quick, I'm a huge believer in giving people their flowers while we're here. Scotty Pippen. Can we talk a little bit about how good Scotty was? I don't think he gets his credit, you know, as it relates to those championship runs. The grandfather of the version of the position that LeBron became, that Tracy McGrady became, which is the point forward. Scotty and Grant Hill. Penny played like those guys, but he wasn't because Penny was always a point guard. So Penny is actually more like a magic. But Scotty was the guy who, like, if you look at those early Bulls teams, even the later teams, they always just got a point guard who actually was a spot-up shooter. John Paxson, BJ, and Scotty actually served the role as the point, which became, to, to Penny's, Tracy, Grant Hill, uh, LeBron, all those guys. So... So Scotty was great, but also he actually more than great. He's an inventor in the game of basketball. He invented the idea that you get a small forward who actually initiates the offense and is the best pl- passer, playmaker in your team. And it worked out for him because he had the greatest score on his team. Yeah, I think Mav said it perfectly. I think people underestimate how good Scotty Pippen was. Um, Scotty can do everything on the court that anybody could do. He can play inside, he can play outside. He can guard a big guy, a small guy. Um, I don't think Scotty gets the credit that's due because he played in an era where there wasn't social media. I think after people watch this video and so I'll see people see him dunking on people, see him doing all the things he could do, I think his his popularity is going to rise up a little bit more. But he played in an era where the only brand people had was Michael Jordan. And uh, I, I love playing with Scotty. I mean, like Michael was the tough guy every day, but Scotty was the guy that you know gave you confidence, uh, talked to you when things were when you were struggling. But um, I just think Scotty was an underrated player, and uh, he's top five that I ever seen play, and I played with. I agree with Mav and Scott on that. You know, having to play against him, uh, the things that stuck out it was he was a two way player for sure. Uh, he was a guy that could guard anybody, and he was a facilitator on the offensive end. And his IQ was so high on both ends of the floor. Whatever he found your weakness was on on offense, and what you didn't like to do, that's where he kind of catered and kind of pushed you to. Uh, offensively, uh, defensively, that's how smart he was. He was just going to make you go to your weaknesses pretty much the whole game. If you know you didn't like pressure, he was up. If you knew you didn't like length, he was back. I mean, those are the things that I just saw in him. And then he was so smart about reading situations. If a team was playing something a certain way, he would go to that teammate and go, hey, man, he's overplaying you. Back door is open or whatever. All that it just seems like every facet of the game uh, that he just understood and that he knew. And like he, he was a late bloomer. He needed Michael to bring that out. But, man, the respect from our era, he got the total respect that he deserved. Yeah. You know, obviously not from this young group because they were, like, all about Michael. But the last dance is showing Scotty's his worth and his game. All right, let's get to it, man. Perfect. Welcome to WRTS, the after party, Uninterrupted's new reaction show. As we've been doing lately, we're breaking down the latest episodes of The Last Dance. I'm your host, Paul Rivera, and we have a VIP lineup of guests. First up is none other than Anthony Penny Hardaway, who took the league by storm leading those Orlando Magic teams, and NBA guard Scott Burrell, who was right there on the Bulls for the last dance. And of course, none other than Mr. Maverick Carter, who texted me to announce 
his fourth return to the show by <laughs> simply texting, I'm back. I was supposed to do one. I was supposed to do one and out. I was supposed to be, I was a one and done. That's awesome. I'm back. I'm so back. gentlemen, so gentlemen, coming off of episode seven and eight of The Last Dance, any initial reactions, anything that jumped out to you guys at all? What shocked me was Michael's emotion at the end of episode seven when he felt like the team, how they really felt about him and all he was trying to do was motivate and push. It was almost like, hey, man, if you can't get to this level, then, hey, you can't get to that level. But he, he teared up and was like, cut the film, man. I've never seen Michael. He really don't give a crap about what a lot of people have to think about him. And for him to get that emotional lets him know, like, man, they just kind of everybody's saying in the in the last dance. He's an asshole. He's this, he's that. He's like, damn, what do I have to do to show you guys that all I want to do is win? And the human side came over him like, damn, like even now, for him to be able to get teared up like that, that really shocked me. I, I love seeing his passion, his intensity, his passion, his commitment to be the best, his commitment to dominate his teammates if he has to, to make them better, and his opponent. He uses every little thing to motivate himself. But like Penny said, I was amazed to see how much he broke down after hearing his teammates talk about him. But like for someone like me, I needed that. I had it back in college with Coach Calhoun. It didn't bother me at all. I didn't care if the films were my ego and my um, my humility doesn't really take a hit with this because I really don't care. I enjoyed my life, and a lot of people could say what they want. They they wish they were us playing in the league, but I enjoyed seeing him give it all he got and express how he felt about every practice, about everything that motivated him. I love his intensity. I want to go play right now. <laughs> just joking, I, just joking. I, I, I'm like Scott too. I mean, I watch it going like, damn, I want to play. I want to, it does get you fired up. If you're a, a ball player like we all are and like many people are watching this, it gets you fired up. And I was sitting there going like, in some way I would have loved to be Michael's teammate. Like, sure, we might have, we probably would have gotten to it. I probably would have bucked back. And and maybe even got kicked off the bulls or traded away. But like I like I like that edge, you know, like that's not my personality. I don't bring that edge, but if somebody brings it, I, I I'm I'm cool with it. But but to Penny's point, to see Michael break down in some way we've never seen him. He doesn't let you see that side of him, so that was good. But I looked at it like it was a little bit like watching like a, a an old gangster that was remorseful for the shit he had done. But but it, but also he like later, because he's so far removed from it now, he's looking back on it going like, damn, I was hard. I pushed people. I did things. But fuck it. I did what I had to do. Like, it was right. what I had yes. to do to win. So right. th those are two really conflicting emotions to deal with. Like, damn, maybe I was a little bit of an asshole or a lot of an asshole and hard. But shit, we got results and we won. But, but, but I'm sure somewhere in him, because we're all human, was like, Damn, I wish I could have been a little bit nicer and liked everybody, but but it but maybe it wouldn't have worked out. So I'm glad with, I'm happy with the results. To me, that's what that that felt like the emotion that was coming out of it. Yeah, he just got everybody out of their comfort level, man. Everybody yes. wants to be comfortable, and he got you uncomfortable all the time. And that's mm. not a good feeling for people who can't reach that level. That's exactly. a horrible mm -hmm. feeling. But I, I loved how he pushed everybody. I love how he motivated. I loved how he pushed, and he got the most out of everyone. Everyone. Yeah, I mean, if you grew up in a neighborhood. And you had those old school cats pushing you. They, they, they made you tough. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, what, absolutely. that's what MJ yep. reminded me of. Like, hey, man, you're not going to be soft. Yep. You know what we got to do. And that's how we were raised. So I was good with what yeah. he was doing. And, and to Penny's point, the neighborhood is like, 
if you back down from that one time, you toast. You yes. can't. You you better yeah. you better off getting your ass whooped than to back down. Yes. Take the whooping. The next day, they might leave you alone. Like, okay, respect. Yes. But if you back if you back down one yeah. time, yeah, sure. you got your own. You got two op. You got two options. Don't come out the house no more or move. Thanks. <laughs> For me, the biggest takeaway was a little surprising because it was the most obvious thing. Obviously, everyone knows MJ retired in 93. I didn't realize he retired in October, you know, just weeks before the start of the NBA season. So for you two, Scott and Penny, you guys were both drafted in 1993. I can only imagine, I don't want to speak for you two, you know, I grew up with an MJ poster in my room, you know, in my dorm room and all of those things. I'm guessing you guys are chasing this guy. He's the GOAT, right? He's G-O-D, all these things. You're preparing, and he retires your rookie year. What what are you guys thinking when this happens? Well, to be honest, I'm thinking about there's a lot of other people that could bust my ass. So that was just one less person. There's one less person I had to worry about. So, I mean, I would love to have played against him that year, but, hey, there's a lot of other people. You still had Scottie Pippen on that team to worry about. And I can remember Scottie coming in the, into Charlotte, giving me 28 in the first half. I mean, there's a lot of lessons. Dominic Wilkins still had to play. Um, there's so many other stars in the league that were unbelievable. But you always want to play against the best. And uh, he ended up coming back. And we all got our lessons. Yeah, no, for me, it was the total opposite. I was mad as shit. I was like, damn, I'm not going to get a chance to play against MJ. I wanted that I wanted that action. I really did because I had been watching him so long and knew how great he was. I was like, I want to guard this guy and see what it's really like. But also, he has to guard me. And that was my thought as a, as a, as a rookie. It was going to be respect. But I knew I was going to have to bring it to get respect. And I wanted to have that opportunity. And when he left, I was, I was sick. Penny, for you, you were a young guy. But you quickly, like, I mean, quickly became to your, it was probably you and Grant Hill were the two best perimeter players at the top of the league. Right away, Grant was there and you were there because Michael was gone. Mm -hmm. The next two guys were you, were you thinking like, Damn, now this is an opportunity for me to best be the best guard in the league, or was it too early for you as a rookie and you wasn't thinking like that? You just wanted to hoop. Yeah, no, I wasn't really thinking like that. I was really just coming in knowing that I had to make a name for myself. And I was I had a list and it was on. Every game was gonna be, I gotta prove who I am, what I had to do, and make people start saying my name immediately when I first stepped into the league. Like this young cat is, is bringing it. So that's what my focus was really on that. I mean, I've always loved Mike, loved his competitive nature. I uh, loved everything about him. I uh, was disappointed that I didn't get a chance to play against him because he, he was the greatest. And uh, I felt like that I, I needed those measuring sticks for myself to see I knew where I needed to go. I knew what he had done. So when he left, obviously, it was it was devastating. But I did say I still have to do what I have to do. I, didn't, I did not expect him to come back, though. Hey, one thing that surprised me, and I don't know, Mav, if you saw this, LeBron tweeted out tonight that he cried at nine years old when MJ retired. Mav, you grew up an MJ, a huge MJ fan as well. Can you put into context, maybe for some of our younger viewers and listeners, MJ retiring in 93, like, how big was that? I mean, this guy was at the top of the game. Like, can you put that into perspective? Yeah, I was thinking about it. I did not see LeBron's tweet tonight, but I was just thinking about it. Like, I remember MJ retiring. It was like, it was, it was just strange because all the great athletes before him, you know, NFL quarterbacks and NBA stars and boxers had went long into their career and he was obviously retiring at the at the at the peak. He just won the championship. He was far and away and clearly the best player in the league 
it felt like you were losing a family member almost, like something a part of you, because basketball feels so much, even if you're just a fan, as as a as a family and a, and a community that you're a part of, and like for the for the best guy in the world to step away, it was like I was so as a kid and as a fan, I was so committed to Michael Jordan. I bought the sneakers, I bought the posters, I bought the magazine. It was like, oh, should he just quit? It was like, oh, man, it was literally like I had lost a family member. But for me, watching tonight's episode, I shed a tear tonight because mm. when you see a man that's Teflon Mike and, and tough, and and you. He goes at you every day and he prepares you to be better and, and on the court and in life. And when you see him break down, it kind of sh- made me shed a tear because he's done a lot for me. The one year I played with him, I don't know if I ever get if, if I ever get a head coaching job because if I didn't play with Mike. It's hard for brothers to get coaching jobs. And obviously winning a championship might have helped me a little bit. But he's done a lot for me in that one year playing with the, playing for the, with the Bulls. Yeah, at that moment when I was coming in and he retired, I didn't understand the magnitude of it. I was like, I was a young dude ready to get after it. Watching tonight, I was like, Scott, I got emotional because I saw the magnitude of it really for the first time and said, this guy was so great. And for him to get to that point at the height of his career to where he wanted to leave and said he was okay with that, I got a little emotional about that because that was that was tough. That was tough to watch. Yeah, the part that made me the, the I don't know if I got emotional a couple of times and I, I didn't cry, but I just felt that the thing that really drove me was when the press went after him mm. when his father passed. Oh that God. was just so like, yeah. like, I mean, you're supposed to be what are we doing? writing articles yeah. and be honest and fair. And here you have zero evidence to write these headlines and these stories about a man's father. This is not, this. you just don't mess around like that. This is very deep. This is his father. This isn't, he didn't lose. It, I, I, my point is always like, and, and Scott and Penny, you guys play basketball at the highest level and all of us here played through college, but at the highest level, it's like, I'm always okay with a writer, a reporter. If they want to talk about Penny Hardaway or Scott didn't perform well or can't make a shot or can't mm-hmm. shoot jumpers or suck as a basketball player or whatever you want to talk about, as a in between the four lines, because in that instance, Penny, if somebody says you didn't play well tonight or your team, Memphis, didn't play well tonight, you have an opportunity to 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 show them the next night and night in and night out. Mm-hmm. And that's how basketball goes. But to go after that man on a personal level, I always think is totally bullshit and unfair. And that 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 thing, I remember that as a kid and thinking that like, wow, how could they just do this? There's zero evidence to, to even write these stories. Yeah. I agree. So let, let's fast forward March 1995. This old thing that our young listeners and viewers won't know what we're talking about a fax machine. Two words. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. Right? <laughs> uh, you're both in your second year in the league. Um, you're both on the Eastern Conference playoff teams. Penny, you played against MJ his third game back. I don't know if you remember the game. I'm guessing you do. You had 22, Mike had 21. Talk to us about that, like the lead up, your first time playing against MJ. What was that night like? I was hyped because we was new kids <laughs> on the block, bro. I mean, think about it. We was rolling. Like, that was our year. So with Mike coming back, I was like, okay, talk to Shaq. and like, man, it's on. I'm going to get a chance to play against MJ. And you could tell when he came back that he wasn't. I knew the difference now. Don't, don't get it twisted. We understood coming back from baseball from where he was right before he retired. So, But still, to be on the floor with him. It was crazy because I kept looking at him like, damn, he came back and he's actually out here. So that was that was that was a fun night for me. 
Scott, what do you remember? You were out, you were out in 95 due to injury, but number 45 yeah. in the 95 playoffs. Yeah, I just remember wishing I had a chance to help my team. Um, you know, that's when I was young and athletic too. I was stronger and athletic. <laughs> my body wasn't broken down by then. I've had, I had a lot of surgeries in my time playing, but I just wish I had that ch- ch- chance to play against them in the playoffs um, to knock them out. But um, I had to wait a couple more years to play against them. Penny, you guys famously took down MJ in, in six, I believe, that year. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about like that series and even post the series once you guys beat them, you know, taking down the GOAT. What was that locker room like? Yeah, it was crazy because, you know, the whole it was so much tension between Horace and the Chicago Bulls and the city of Chicago because he had left them to come to us. And for us to be playing them, we had home court advantage and MJ comes out in the 45. You know, the mystique of the Bulls, they don't lose in the playoffs. So we're like, man, this is our show. Again, this is our show. They're going to have to come through us. And we were ready for it. And in game one, obviously, Nick steals the ball. He tips it to me. I go down to give it to Horace. Horace dunks it. And then MJ throws the ball away trying to get it to Scotty. And we win game one. He comes out in number 23. And I'm like, okay, oh, shit. All right. <laughs> like, you know, I'm a, I'm a basketball player. I'm understanding what he's doing to himself. He's psyching himself like, all right, forget the, forget the 45. I'm 23. And he had a hell of a game in game two. And we went back to the drawing board and was like, hey, man, let's just stay on him. Let's keep length on him. Let's, let's just try to contest. He did not like the United Center uh, because he didn't have his eyes down. You know, it wasn't Chicago Stadium. So it was a lot of factors that went into that. But we just tried to make him unco- as uncomfortable as possible. And Horace Grant had the series of his life. Yeah, he did. And he had the series of his life. He didn't miss it. He almost didn't miss a shot for the entire series um, from 15 feet out. And I remember shacking them, holding them up. And I never was ever involved with any of that. And <laughs> I looked at them. I'm, I'm telling you guys, listen. I knew not to wake them up. When they held Horace up, oh, my God. I said, man, that, they, should not, they should not have done that. Yeah. I, I honestly said that that day. Penny, was Horace different in the locker room, in the hotel, on the plane in that series? Like, oh, you, yeah. Was it, was no, it no, he was locked in. He was locked in. He was knew. It, and was he, he was sending messages to y'all like, fuck them, let's fuck them up? No, he was just saying that shit like, man, I want to beat these. I want to beat these cats so bad. He really wanted to beat them. He had a deep, like, hatred kind of like because they didn't, I guess they didn't renew his contract and all the stuff that Michael supposedly did to him personally. And he was like, I want to beat these dudes. And uh, for him to have that, you know, on his side the very next year, oh, man, it's crazy. And Mav, when you when you hear Penny talk about like the mystique of the Bulls and them being unbeatable, I didn't honestly I didn't know this till we were doing a little bit of prep for the show. Penny's Magic were the only team, literally the only team during the '90s season to beat the Bulls in the playoffs. As a as a fan, were you surprised? Like, is that a huge upset to you, or are you thinking like, nah, Penny, Shaq, Horace, you know the young you know the young studs? No, I I, I wasn't surprised at all because I thought you know Penny and Shaq. Together, uh, as Penny was has talked about a lot, and a lot of basketball fans have talked about. I thought they were, I thought they were next up. It felt like they were the team that was going to run off, you know, three and five years or two in a row or something for sure. And they had a squad. I mean, I, I remember their starting lineup was was Penny, Nick, Dennis Scott, Horace, and Shaq. Their bench was weak. They had Robert Oil. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I mean, uh, Donald Royal. Uh, Donald Royal. Donald Royal. Donald Anthony Bowie, six man. Anthony Bowie. The bench was weak, but the first five was the first five was enough, and it fit perfectly together actually. Because Dennis was a spot up shooter, Nick was a tough, 
hard-nosed two-guard who were guarding two. And then you had Shaq and Penny carrying everything else. And Horace was the vet. Horace had won. Horace had three rings, so he could teach them how to win. So it just felt like, even as a fan, that they could win. So it wasn't surprising to me that they beat uh, the Bulls, especially when MJ was obviously rusty. I mean, it was, I mean, even when you watch the highlights, when Nick steals it from him, he doesn't look clean with the rock. And, and MJ's not a open court ball handler anyway against pressure. That's not his thing, but he definitely looked rusty. But I also understood to Penny's point, Mike was mentally trying to psych himself back into it with the number change and all that. And I was thinking about it, watching it, and it's, it's because of Mike. Penny's a part of it, but Mike obviously led the charge. Today, NBA players are not allowed to do that. You cannot, you can't switch numbers. I think you have to, if you're going to change your number, because LeBron and AD had a thing last year where LeBron was going to give AD 23. I think it's like you have to let the NBA know by like, like, like you'd have to let the NBA know like a month ago that you're going to switch numbers for next season or some shit like that. I forgot the, because of the business of basketball is now so big. So you have to give the partners time to print the jerseys. He switched numbers in, in between two games, which is that that part in retrospect. Actually, I was like, damn, I forgot he did switch numbers in the middle of the series. You today, you can't you can't switch numbers in the middle of the season, let alone the middle of a series. And Penny, you said when you saw that warm up come off and you saw the number two, three, you were like, ah, oh, shit. OK. I did. I was like, oh, shit, you got to bring it today because he's, he's in a different mindset. And of course, you knew he had probably went off on a team. This isn't us. So they were all locked in. It was a different focus for them in game two. Game one is almost like they felt like they were going to come out on the court and just beat us. One, one of the common themes in, in, in this last episode was, you know, you hear it, and, and Penny, you've referenced it. You could tell Mike was rusty. Penny, did you realize, you know, that, that, that Mike wasn't in basketball shape in that series? Yeah, for sure, because uh, the plays that he was laying the ball up, he had no explosion. He had no lift. He wasn't dunking the balls that he was usually dunking. You know, he was laying it up. So they gave us a chance to come and block that shit from the weak side instead of him dunking on us. <laughs> but no, he didn't have the lift. He didn't have the lift. That's my guy. I can say that. So, But no, he didn't have the lift that he had. He didn't have the, the spring in his leg. He never had that for the entire series. Scott, one thing I didn't realize, and, and kudos to you and, and tip of the cap to you, is you were a first-round pick in NBA and MLB drafts. Is yes, that correct? Yeah, yeah. First athlete so, ever, yeah. Well, talk your shit, Scott. But, but Kyle, I like that. Talk your shit. There you go. First athlete ever. Yeah, real. talk that's it. That's Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray is the second athlete to be drafted in the first round of two sports, yeah. Wow. So talk a little bit. Did, did it hit close to home for you, Mike, you know, doing the baseball thing? I, I just didn't want to see him fail because, you know, he, he was everybody's idol growing up. And I know taking that much time off, it's going to be hard to come back. I mean, if you're a pitcher, it's totally different. But if you're playing a field and you're hit, going, to, going to play hitting the ball – it's hard to get that hand-eye coordination back after missing 12 years of baseball. And, and I knew people were going to ride him. I didn't want his legacy to be ruined. Um, I, I wish people gave him a fair shake. Hitting 202, like people said tonight, it's pretty good after not playing baseball for 12 years. Absolutely. So I, 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 I loved how he took on the challenge that he didn't, think he, was gonna be, he didn't know if he was going to be successful, but he didn't back down from the challenge. Penny, I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with Mike. Um, People may or may not know you were one of the first uh, few athletes approved to wear, you know, the Jordan brand your rookie year. What was that process like? Man, it was a sweet process because um, you got I, a lot I, of gear. I, 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 yeah, you get a lot of gear. <laughs> and they were actually making his shoe with my number on the back. 
I didn't wear all shoes. All of my shoes weren't 23. All of most of them were ones. But man, I wore those shoes, shoes with pride because I understood to get his respect, uh, he had to be the one to say, okay, yeah, he can wear those. And secondly, I knew I had to go out there and, and prove that I was worthy of wearing those shoes. So man, I really enjoyed wearing that line my rookie year. Yeah, if you were if you were if you're part of Brand Jordan, you're a special player. So Mav, I have a little bit of a trivia question to you, and it's a little bit of a cheat code because I, I, I just think gave you'll you guess. An I think you'll guess the answer. <laughs> Uh, the only time MJ wore a signature shoe that weren't Jordan's, can you guess whose shoe he wore? Yes. And the fact that I had forgot that until I was thinking about this show. And Michael, who um, I know Michael, um, we, I think we've all spent time in different ways with Michael. Michael, and I think he would take the crown very happily is the petty king. He is the king <laughs> of pettiness. Michael, even when there's nothing to be petty about, Michael will search for something to be petty about, about like just nag. So the fact that he, he, I worked at Nike and was an intern, as I said, when Jordan, 2001, the Jordan brand was full go, doing well, but hadn't really exploded, exploded. And Michael treated the Air Jordan versus Nike rivalry the same way he treated playing basketball. He wanted Air Jordans to be the biggest sneaker brand in the world as it's become. And when I went back and saw that he actually wore a pair of penny sneakers, it actually blew my mind. I, I remembered the image, but it, I didn't, it didn't seem real because he's that Petty, he doesn't want anybody else to win <laughs> at anything. So the fact that so and he knows he knows if if he helps if he lends his name or his image or his face or his or or he wears something is going to matter. I could that that showed you how much he respected, liked, and loved Penny Hardaway. Yeah, absolutely, Penny. What did that mean to a young Penny man to have the goat rocking your shoe? Come on, man, it meant everything. Just when I saw him with the shoes on, because Howard White called me and was like. MJ wants to wear your shoes. I was like, yeah, right, Howard. I thought he was joking. <laughs> and to see him with those shoes on, I was like, man, he didn't want to wear an old pair of J's or something. He wore he wore those shoes. And I was like, wow, that's just mad respect right there. So, Penny, you got you guys obviously beat the Bulls in, in the 95 playoffs. 96, they come back like a fucking banshee, right? 72 mm -hmm. win season and all roads point towards you guys are the bullseye that Mike has you guys in the crosshairs of, you know, did you guys feel during that season that you guys were on a collision course with the Bulls? Yeah, for sure. We knew. I knew exactly what had happened over the summer. I didn't get invited to the uh, to the hoops in the summertime either. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never went out to the Space really? Jam Really? You, you, you didn't get an invite to the Space Jam no, one? No, I didn't. And I didn't even know they were hooping out there. So, you know, they kept it very, very quiet. But... Uh, I knew that we were gonna we were gonna meet each other in '96. It was just already destined to happen. And then, Scotty, you guys weren't teammates yet, but you know, talk a little bit about you know what it was like going against MJ and that that '96 Bulls team that was on a mission. It was scary because we had a really good team too in Charlotte. And we had Glenn Rice, we had um, uh, Anthony Mason, we had a talented team: uh, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry. But I remember him coming into our place, and that's when the team was they were like a machine. You, it was tough tough to stop. Um, they came out to a 22 to nothing lead against us. And when you're at home and, you come, and, they, and your visiting team comes in and has you down 22 nothing, you know you're in trouble. Uh, but they had everything rolling on the same page that year, and they, weren't, they were tough to stop, tough to stop. And, Scott, talk a little bit about, like, you know, one of the things that, like, jumped out the screen was 
how much Mike was on your ass consistently, right? Just every practice, just, you know, travel, off days, everything. Talk a little bit about what that was like, you know, your relationship with Mike that year. Well, let's be honest. Editing does crazy stuff. All right. So it wasn't always me. Like a lot of yelling with the other people, but it made it look like it was me. All right. No, but, but, no. But, but like I said, I enjoyed it. I love the tough love. I felt like when I make him smile, when I make him smile, I feel like I'm his little brother and I don't mind when he goes at me because it wasn't malicious. It was just to make me better and make me tougher, make me focus. I never had to have that focus on the other team. Um, like I said, I was young and athletic when I first came to the league. Um, I, I was pretty talented. Um, but, but when you get to that team, you have to be a role player, but you need to do your role to the best of your ability. And he brought that out of you. And I mean, if you're going to hang out and party or enjoy life or win a championship here, you better bring it in practice to prepare yourself for the best and the toughest, toughest games you're going to play all year. Joe Klein, Rusty LaRue, and Keith Booth. And I'm the only one that got a lot of minutes, so I knew why it was me. <laughs> but, but, so I never asked that question. But like I said, he, he, like, he fought Steve Kerr. He didn't fight me. So yes. if it got down to that, it would have been a little different, but he just pushed me and motivated me. One of the big things, you know, they showed, obviously they talked about Steve and, and the fight, but one of the things this episode focused on was really like practices, how much pressure he put on guys. Can you talk a little bit about maybe something that didn't come across in the doc? Just what were those practices actually like? Uh, practice was harder than games. I mean, because I, I, wow. he, he prepared you for situations. He would go at you every day in practice, but you know what to do during games. And if the starting five in Chicago was going at you, you could face anyone else in the league. So being on a second unit, playing against Dennis, Scotty, Michael, uh, Tony Kukoc, um, and, and having big Luke in the, in the middle or, Dennis, or or someone else in the middle, you knew you could play against anyone else in the league, especially when they were, you know, two-time champs before I got there. But the truth is, Mike, uh, Mike always, he was like that no matter where he played. I remember the first time I met Penny, Penny may not remember this. The first time I met Penny, I must have been 19 years old. We were at Hoops the Gym. It was like 2001 or two. Penny, they used to have runs at Hoops at this little mm -hmm. gym where Tim Grover on the, he used to, there was this little workout room upstairs. Remember, Penny is tiny. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Only yeah. only two or three people could work out in there. Yeah. They're probably like two. <laughs> and then everybody would come in, get their workout in, and afterwards there would be runs. And I was there because they had invited LeBron there. Do you remember this, Penny? Absolutely. LeBron Absolutely. was like 17. And he worked out and he couldn't get in on the first, like, Michael would not. Michael was actually preparing to come back. The, the, this is now his second time coming back when he come back with Washington. But on the court, Penny had came. Uh, rest in peace, Smitty had brought you up. Uh -huh. And Penny was working out. I don't know what year you were in, but, but LeBron, Penny was actually, it was Michael and Penny was LeBron's favorite player. So he was just like a, like, like a deer in headlights to on, be man. there. Man, if he left me out. <laughs> but they they I was there because I was with Brian and got to see the run see guys work out Oak was there Penny Paul Pierce Michael all the they called them the baby bulls then the bulls were young they had like Jamal Crawford Ron Artest a bunch Eddie Curry Tyson they Chandler were all, Tyson Chandler uh, the kid who went to Iowa State, Penny, Marcus Pfizer. Oh, yeah, Marcus Pfizer, all those Marcus guys. Pfizer, Marcus yeah. Pfizer, all these guys. So Penny was there. You know, Penny, 
can ball, but Penny a down south guy. You know, down south guys is taking, you know, they easy going when he now on the court. And and the on the court, Michael and Twan. It was Michael and Twan, Penny. Oh, my they God. were, I mean, all day. A battle every day. <laughs> a battle every day. Every day. I mean, just Walker. like you saw in practice, Michael would be going at people. This is an older Michael, but he was still getting to his spot. You know, Michael, no matter what age, if he get to his spot and raise yeah. up, if you're not there, it's money. Bucket. I don't give a Bucket. damn. I, don't, I think he's going to be able to do that to <laughs> 70. If he just get to his spot. So he could do that. And I remember Penny, I'll never forget this. Penny was like, man, these, these cats just won't stop. They just like, let's just, Penny was like, I just want a ball, man. It's the summertime. <laughs> I just want to get up and down. And Twan, you remember that, Penny? Oh, yeah, Twan and, and MJ stayed at it. That was just Twan's, that's, that made Twan's day every day to come in and go at MJ. Just talking <laughs> smack and, and going crazy. And MJ was, was ready for all of it. MJ wanted it. He loved it. <laughs> Scott, let me ask you, obviously you guys are both, you know, collegiate coaches now. Um, congrats on that. Kudos to you guys. Thank you. Um, Scott, anything that you share with your team now specific to that experience you had with Mike at all? You know, it's tough because kids nowadays think they know everything. Um, (laughs) They think think you're old school. um, And all they do is watch LeBron and KD and the guys that play now. Um, And it's even hard for them to watch Kobe and talk about Kobe because he retired, you know, more recently. But it's, it's, it's hard because you don't want to push something that you lived and you know was the great. He was the greatest player, but you don't want to push too much on him because then you turn him off and then you have a kid so hard headed they're going to battle him about who's the best player and I, it, it's it's not worth the headache. Just, <laughs> he said it's not worth it. It's, it's not worth not, it. So because you want to get the most out of it in an hour of practice, two hours of practice, but I, if they come to me and ask me, I'll give them the full the full rundown. But if they don't bring it up, I don't even. Like, for instance, I'm watching this document, documentary. Probably two of my players call me about it because I don't think they understand what they're watching because wow. they don't understand history. They don't understand the relevance of and the rise of who Michael was and who people are today and how they got there and why they're there. Um, all they worry about is Twitter and Instagram and, and social media. <laughs> Do you think the players you got now or young players in general could take the type of Things we saw Michael putting the rest of the Bulls through in practice? No, no. They would Not ask either. for a trade number one or fight Michael <laughs> number two and ruin their lives. <laughs> or number three, go right to social media and blast them. Yep. Exactly. They, can't, they can't take it. But, that, but like everybody says stuff about everybody on social media, they couldn't take it. That's why they're saying negative yes. things. You know what I'm saying? But like I said, they want to be you. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's, 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 for sure. But, but it's a game that we love to play. We're getting paid a lot of money. If somebody pushing you and challenge you to be better, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? He's mm-hmm. not physically doing anything to you. He's just talking mm-hmm. shit to you. Mm-hmm. Just yep. prepare yourself every day and get better. Mm-hmm. Penny, let me ask you. Like, I, I have a 15-year-old son. If I say the name Penny to him, he would say the dopest sneakers ever. I don't know if he says, like, the dopest point guard, if he's ever actually even seen you play. Your right. players, your players, and you're one of the best recruiters, coaches in the game – um, do your players realize what a great player you were? Like, wh- wh- what's that like? Or they look Man, at you just as coach? All I can do is, is say thank God for YouTube, dog, because that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the guys kind of understand me more from my sneakers, but then when they get to school, they start looking at more YouTube and, and seeing mm. things on social media that guys are posting to me, maybe a clip, maybe a play, maybe a pass or a dunk or something like that, and then they start 
But I'm like Scott. They really don't really care about my career. They care about all the guys <laughs> in today's game right now. Yeah. Mm. But it, it's funny you ask that. Because when, when Penny was an AAU coach, I would see Penny all the time. And I'm like, that was a bad boy. But everyone that walks by him, I don't, all the kids that play AAU don't realize <laughs> how nice he was. How well, great of course. a player he was. You know what I'm saying? It just, it, it's amazing because yeah, they no, don't want to know history and they're not going to take the time to learn history. Penny, one of my favorite things, and I'm guessing you saw it, was uh, one of your assistant coaches, Coach Mike, Mike Miller. Um, mm-hmm. He recently posted that he took the, the the championship belt from one of your players in a shooting contest. Yes. Like, do they realize, I mean, my money's still on you and Mike as it relates to you two versus anybody on your roster, respectfully. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They realize y'all still want the smoke. They, they really can't handle that. Like, well, you know what? They, it's so crazy. Uh, all our coaches are in practice, especially Mike. He's really out there a lot, and he can really still play. And, you know, these players aren't smart enough. So with me being at the PG and Diamond Mike and Mike knocking down shots, I think we'll, we'll, we'll keep that belt right now. We'll keep that belt, we'll keep that belt hey, right now. <laughs> and, that's, and that's easy. You'll keep that belt for a long time again. Easy. Hey, I, I think one of the things that jumped out on the screen for me, and I'm guessing for you guys as well, was um, episode five of The Last Dance was uh, Kobe, right? The, the, the short piece he had in there. Um, Penny, you actually were in that All-Star game, right? I believe mm-hmm. it was your fourth consecutive All-Star game, and obviously uh-huh. due to injury, it was your last one. Can you give us any, any memories of that All-Star game at, at MSG, which obviously had MJ and Grant and Kobe and Duncan and KG? What was that like, man? Yeah, it was great because it was in the garden, you know, and uh, we knew that uh, how special that was. And uh, with the Kobe situation in the locker room, everybody just kind of felt like he was trying too hard because he wanted to be that next guy. And uh, I respected Kobe because he was a young cat that had a list. Hey, man, I want to be better than this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And in the game, uh, in the locker room, they were talking. But in the game, when he waved Carmelo Malone off, Carl was coming up and set a pick, and he's like, man, get out of here, old school. I'm, I'm not with that. We were all talking about it because that's not the way that we played. We played together. Uh, it was more two-man game, and uh, that's, 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 what he, that's where he made his mark. But, yeah, that locker room conversation was just about the young fella just coming out and just trying to, you know, go at people. Mm, I love it. Penny, you talked about, um, about Space Jam and Mav. I'm going to come to you in a second. You really didn't even know about the – obviously, there was no social media back then or anything like that. When the runs were going on on the Warner Brothers lot of Space Jam being filmed, you didn't even know the runs were taking place? Well, first uh-huh. of all, I'm offended you didn't ask me that question, too. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hear about the runs either. So, no, honestly, so no one told me. I didn't, I didn't know anything about the runs, and I didn't hear anything. Probably heard about it, like, later going into the season. I was like, oh, they were out there hooping? I would have went out there and hooped, but, you know, you know how it works. <laughs> Mab, let me ask you. Obviously, you know, LeBron is filming Space Jam 2. Um, and, you know, I, I know it was important to him to have, you know, Jim set up to be able to hoop, be able to lift weights in his regiment. And he posted on social media, his call time sometimes were 6, 7 a.m. And he's getting, you know, weights and shots up at 5. Talk a little bit about that process of how important it was to him and kind of just the conversations with Warner Brothers and Space Jam, making sure his basketball setup was what it needed to be for him to stay locked in on the game. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for him, um, he had Michael go before him. So he was able to, there was actually a um, a way of, a process of doing things. And the truth is, there are many people at Warner Brothers who actually were still there from the time that Michael shot. And most importantly, there are people who, who because Michael had done it, there was just, a, even if they weren't there, they understood for an athlete of this caliber to shoot a movie, what that, what also needs done. 
So they, they did the exact same thing. They built a full long weight room and a full NBA size court in the parking lot at the studio. Uh, and LeBron worked out every day and, and had runs and, and, and got up and down and played. Fortunately for him, he also plays for the LA Lakers. So on certain days, he was able to use the Lakers facility too, unlike Michael could. But, but Michael really set the blueprint that, hey, if, if I'm going to play in this movie, fine. But as a part of my contract, I also need a full court basketball and a full uh, fitness and weight room. And so it wasn't foreign to them at all. Warner Brothers was very accommodating. And LeBron, much like, you know, uh, all the great players to be that great at that level for that and sustain that long, it's pretty com it's pretty much common sense. You have to have a certain level of commitment that is unlike uh most others. And his commitment is the 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 highest level of commitment I've ever had the fortune to see and be around. And I think as committed as any athlete we've ever seen. So for him to wake up, uh lift weights, play ball get a run in and then deliver the same thing as Michael. You know, movie making is hard. The problem, what, what, what makes movie making so hard is a lot of hurry up and wait. Hurry up, hurry up, get ready, get dressed, get, put this on. Penny, you know this too from commercials, mm-hmm. the same thing. Hurry up, get dressed, get, get this. And then, oh, wait, 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 wait. We got to make sure this is right. Hurry up, hurry up, wait, wait, wait. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. So if you're not used to the process, it actually starts to feel like they're wasting your time and you feel like, damn, they wasted my time. I'm just sitting around in costume for the last hour, but it's just the process of making a, a production. So there's a lot of hurry up and wait. So there is, it is making a movie for actors is eight to 12 hour days. Absolutely. And LeBron's also committed to being the best player he can be and being the best player in the world. So those two things, he had to mesh them together and Warner brothers was used to it because of what Michael had done. Got it. And Mav, you mentioned, you mentioned commercials. Um, obviously, you know, Penny and Scott, you guys will notice, but Mav and I both worked at Nike during different times. I've had the, the good fortune, honestly, of I've traveled the world with LeBron when I was at Nike and Mav, obviously. I've done events with Kobe, may he rest in peace. I've done events with, you know, KG when he was, you know, fun police and all that stuff. The, the biggest security clearance, I'll call it, where I had to sign my life away was there's a thing called Nike Archives, right? Mm-hmm. I had to sign my life on the line to actually take out the little penny doll. <laughs> Literally damn near signing blood. Penny, talk a little bit about like when Nike, when the swoosh came to you, um, little penny, we have this campaign called little penny and Tyra Banks and all those things. What was your initial thought? Was it crazy? Was it the dopest thing you ever seen? Like, what were your initial thoughts on that? No, initially, you know, my, my mind went to, man, this is going to be dope because everybody loves comedy and I felt like an alter ego was going to be perfect for me because I was just out there balling and he was going to do all the, all the trash uh-huh. talking for me. And uh, to have Chris Rock on board as well as the voice, I just knew that it was going to hit. And uh, Stacey Walsh, who worked for the uh, for Nike and Wyden and yep. Kennedy, uh, yep. those guys came together and was like, we feel like this will be great for you. And I agreed right away. And man, once it hit the scenes, man, it took off. Stacy is one of my favorite guys. He, oh, yeah, he wrote, he, he wrote Little Penny, came up with the idea he was a writer, and now he's one of the great commercial directors in the world. He directed a lot of LeBron commercials. He is awesome guy. Yes. Matt, as not only a fan of basketball, as a marketer and an executive, what were your thoughts then as a kid, you know, seeing Little Penny and that campaign and how Nike rolled that out around Penny? <clears throat> as a kid seeing it, it was just, A, 
the most, it was the most entertaining commercial I'd ever seen. You know, before that, Bo Knows was very entertaining. Um, uh, Mars and Mike must be the shoes. Mike was very entertaining. But Little Penny was the first truly like you watched it and went like, I think I could watch 90 minutes of this, of this, these two characters, Penny and Little Penny. It was the first commercial that I had seen and I felt that way about you know, Michael's commercials were great, but a lot of them were about his winning or his competitiveness. This was pure entertainment. Michael, Mike and Spike was pure entertainment, but this, but Penny and Little Penny was pure entertainment. It was just felt like it just had chapters and storylines that could go on. And you never, I never seemed to get enough of it. It seemed like you always wanted more. But as I grew later and became, you know, got the good fortune of working at Nike and started understanding and learning about storytelling and marketing, it actually became even smarter to me because you realize as a, as a technical marketer, they had Penny, who was at the time, you know, one of the greatest athletes in the world, but didn't necessarily want to be on camera being the guy that wasn't his thing. So they built this mechanism and the mechanism was a was a literally a puppet that became his alter ego. So that's true. <laughs> that's true. Storytelling movie making, marketing. It, that's like the greatest form of marketing and, and movie making when you build kind of an alter ego, a character that lives and is it's really Penny talking. You don't re, when you go back and look at it, it's really how Penny feels, but they articulate it through another mechanism. It was just when you go back and look at that, that's like genius to be able to come up with that idea. So Scott and Penny, you guys have the distinction of playing at least my generation. I'm older than everyone on this on this, you know, call or whatnot. You guys have played with the two most dominant players of my generation. Scott, you played with MJ, obviously, and Penny, you played with Shaq. What's it like playing with 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 a figure bigger than maybe even the game? Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Like what it's like playing with someone so dominant? Off the court, it's nothing like it. Um Playing with MJ, every hotel you had thousands of people. Every every time you went to an arena, there was um, people waiting outside the arena. Every hotel you stayed in, it was it was it was it was crazy. It was like a rock band for for sure. But also, you knew everybody was coming at MJ, so you knew you had to prepare yourself to help MJ. Like one thing he does, he, he talks about all the time is. People weren't gonna say I beat Chicago Bulls or Scott Burrell or or Steve Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not saying that. They're coming at MJ. So if you don't do your job to help him and back him and, and, and make his job easier, you failed. And um, that's one thing you had to realize every night you stepped on court. It's about Chicago Bulls on your jersey, but about the second battle is about MJ and nobody else. Yeah, and for me playing with Shaq, man, it was, it was phenomenal because Shaq understood what he needed to do from day one. Like he was like, okay, for me to get buckets because everybody's going to foul me, I'm not a great free throw shooter, I got to outrun anybody, everybody. The thin Shaq that played in Orlando was the <laughs> fastest runner down the court that I ever seen in my No, seriously, he was so greedy for the buckets, bro. He was yeah. like, just throw it anywhere near, like Randy Moss. I'm throwing a Hail Mary, and he's just going to get it. And I was so amazed at watching that. Like, man, this guy just understands that he needs to be the first down the floor. So I've never seen anybody run the floor like that. Secondly, he, he was always trying to find ways to get better because he always heard about his weaknesses with free throw shooting. He got a shooting coach. Uh, Buzz Brayman was his name. He was our shooting coach and worked on free throws. He said, I need another move. He worked on a turnaround jump shot, which he mastered. He really made that shot at he a very did. high. 
He made that shot at a higher percentage. He already had the jump hook. And then, of course, off the floor, everybody loves Shaq. I mean, to see going to the hotels, it might not have been as many people as MJ, but it was a ton of people everywhere we went. And in every arena, it was always packed to see him play. And no matter what they tried to do to him, man, they could not break him. They couldn't break him. He was just unbelievable, man. And the funniest dude, the always joking, the biggest kid on the team, man. Somebody's sleeping <laughs> on the plane. He's trying to wake you up with whatever. He's, he's yeah, the biggest kid. So it was, it was fun playing with him. <laughs> Before we wrap, it's time uh, for our closing segment called No Bullshit, where we keep it real on a topic not covered in the dock. Uh, the topic this week is untold practice stories. <laughs> Scott, you had the privilege, I'll call it privilege, of going up against Mike and Scotty every day in practice. Uh, but I, my opinion is the doc probably only scratched the surface of what those practices were like. Is there an untold story you could tell us about what practice was like with MJ, Scotty, and Dennis? And if you played with Dennis, there has to be a story. <laughs> well, yeah, Dennis would miss. Everybody knows Dennis would miss once a week or once every two weeks. <laughs> of practice. Everybody knew that I mean, that's what was amazing about the whole doctor. Okay with it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because when he came back, he, he was going to give numbers defensively and, and play and give rebounds. But like seriously, he would take a fun bus out at least once or twice a, a, a month and never come back for practice for like two days. <laughs> and like, and the funny thing about watching this documentary. I didn't know he went to Vegas because I was so used to him missing practice every now and then. <laughs> but the best story I had was when I played him one-on-one. And I should have beat him. I had a chance to beat him. You um, played who? Dennis or Michael? No, no MJ. MJ, MJ, one-on-one. I was up 6'5". Um, Harp's watching the game. You know Harp's going to kiss his ass. So MJ <laughs> travels. And, so, and he said um, uh, that he didn't follow me. But then again, I should have had the ball back. MJ ends up winning 7 six. And um, he says, um, I say, let's play again. He goes, why would I play you? So you can tell your family you beat Michael Jordan? What am I going to tell them? <laughs> I beat Scott Burrell. <laughs> so, and the best part about it is he said, what are they going to do? Slap me in my face. That's why I tell them that. So I, that was the best part of the whole story. It's like, I mean, it just it's fun. You know, it's fun. But I, I love, like, yes. I, I enjoy playing with that team. I loved Harper. I still talk to Ron Harper a lot. Um, Steve Kerr. Uh, Scotty, Michael, I, I enjoyed the camaraderie of that team. It was a team that was bonded together to win championships. So, Penny, one of, one of the big um, topics in this doc has been, you know, was uh, highlighting the 92 Olympic team, right? The dream mm -hmm. team. Yeah. Um, you were part of the 96 dream team, and I call uh -huh. it the dream team deliberately, right? Another collection of absolute legends, and you guys won gold. Is there a practice of scrimmage from the 96 team that year that you can share with us that stands out to you? Man, I got stories from the 92 because I was on a select team from that team when we beat oh, them there. Wow. And I was oh, talk a little bit about that. Talk your shit, Penny. No, no, no. I'm just saying. Like, Ben <laughs> yeah. Hill, Ronnie Rogers, uh, Paul Mashburn, C-Webb, Bobby Hurley, um, Allen Houston. We all went down there, man. And, and uh, you know, you could tell they were kind of taking us lightly. But my thought process was me and Grant and Allen, we were like, yo, and Rodney and Jamal, hey, let's go at these dudes. We just wanted their respect. That's all we were thinking about. And we started winning. And MJ was on the sideline. And it was magic, like David Robinson, um, Clyde Drexler, and those guys. And we're thinking, these are still pros. Even though MJ, Larry Bird was on the sideline because he had a back injury. But these are still Hall of Famers, bro. And we're out here just balling. John Stockton. And we beat them. And I, I know they were very embarrassed because they did not know we were going to come at them like that. And then the next day we came to play and they beat the crap out of us, man. <laughs> <laughs> they were so, the game got more, way more physical. 
And man, they showed us what we were and what we needed, what we needed to be. And it was just, hey, man, this is not, this is nothing to play with. You guys got lucky yesterday. Today we're gonna show you the real NBA. So that was fun. But uh, as far as the '96 Olympics, all I can remember every single day was Karl Malone going at Charles Barkley. Uh, Scotty Pippen and Grant Hill was a real problem because Scotty wanted to show oh, Grant, yes. I'm that dude. And then me and Gary Payton, and we were all just kind of, and Gary was going at John. So we all were kind of teammates, but it was almost like these one-on-one -on -one battles that we kind of wanted to go at each other. And that was fun, bro. That's just every day. It was something every day. Charles and, 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 and Mailman almost fighting every day. Really? Every day? Almost fighting every day. <laughs> yeah, they never got and along. And I, and I think so, so for people that are that are watching this or listening to this, you know, the select teams there, it's kind of fresh meat. It's there to kind of give some competition, you know, a good run. It's not there to win, right? Right. Did you right. guys realize that was a big deal as you guys are doing it? Like, oh shit, we just beat the dream team. We didn't. We we didn't get the memo about losing on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> we were just balling, and I can remember Coach K, Coach Shevsky saying. We didn't have the real dogs out there. So what are you saying to us when you're looking at John Stockton, Magic Johnson, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, David Robinson, and Scottie Pippen and Clyde Drexler? I mean, come on. I mean, they have to give us our credit. We shocked them the first day. Oh, yeah. And then the next day they came back and smacked us. You guys are both coaching in the NCAA. What have you guys, you know, I'm sure there's been, you know, numerous things, but what's one or two things you guys have taken from your playing career over your coaching career that you try to implement you know, upon your teams daily or weekly? Uh, I think for me, uh, you have to be careful, just like Scott says, because if you push too hard, uh, these kids, they're not really used to that. But for me, I think it's just preparation, you know, preparing your mind, preparing your body, understanding what you got to do and what you got to get ready for. If you can do that, then you can be ready for anything. And then the discipline of how, how to continue to do that and be consistent with that. I think that these guys are so entitled in today's game that they don't even think about a plan. They just come in ready to play. They think that they're supposed to play before another guy because it's, uh, you know, everybody thinks that they're better than the next guy. So for <laughs> me, it's, it's really scary, man, because you always have to tell these kids, man, hard work, hard work, hard work, plan, discipline, um, you know, uh, not feeling entitled. Just it's, 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 um, it's a fine line. And Scott knows this with today's, with the, today's player where you got to push, you gotta preach a little bit. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give a little bit. But honestly, it's just those things is what I take. I've taken from my uh, my career and tried to implement in my with my team. Yeah, Penny hit it right in the head. It's 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 totally different. I mean, these kids are entitled, and you try to make them compete. They don't know what competing is because um, if when they're growing up, most of the kids now, if they're not playing or they're not the best team on the AAU team, they'll go to a different team. It might be a worse team, but then now they're, the start, they're in the starting lineup. They're scoring all the points, but it's not making them better. So when you try to push a kid, most kids don't want to be pushed. They're, they're, they don't want to get out their comfort level. And they know they have the, the, the administration's back. They have their back. The administration has their back. So it's tough to be a, a coach that really wants you, them to be the best because they don't want it. Um, but that's when recruiting takes place. Find self-motivated players, kids that want to work to be the best player. It might be a little less talented player, but find kids who are self-motivated that 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 you can make an impact on them and they can make an impact on you. Love it. Mav, I've had the, the privilege of, of playing in a washed open runs with you in L.A. Uh, 
And and you always take pride in playing the game the right way. Talk a little bit about, you know, before we get up out of here, just the era that these two legends have played in, you know, and, and, and what not only what that meant to basketball, but just how it was, you know, you always talk about the right way to play out. People played hard, took the game seriously, the passion and the love for the game. Yeah, I think the era that Scott and Penny played in um, <clears throat> was an era that was uh, amazing for basketball. And it was actually the, you know, coming off of Magic and Birds era, the 80s, and you got to Michael. And through the 90s, the 90s is when basketball as a sport really took off as a business. You know, Bird and Magic get credit as they deserve for making the game big. But the 90s is when it actually became a business and the, and the idea that, you know, big media rights came involved and sneaker sales became a thing. So basketball as it is today, which is a gigantic global business, 365 around the world, it was built on Magic and Bird and then, and then really took off with Michael in that era of the 90s. And I think it's important to look at that era and go, they still managed to make it a big business, but play the game the right way. And the right way is to to uh, both of these guys who were played at the highest level, but also now coaches with discipline, with thoughtfulness, with an understanding of like, oh, wait, I got a chance to play Division One basketball or NBA basketball. That, that opportunity is not just given to anybody. That comes with a high level of responsibility. When you watch guys who played in their era, you could tell everybody took that that, that was a heavy responsibility. It wasn't light. Today, sometimes I feel like some of the guys take it light, almost like, to, you know, to use the, the phrase that we've all used on here, that they were supposed to or they, they, they're entitled and self-entitled. It was like back then, most of the guys who got to play and play on a level, you watch a guy who I know very well, like Charles Oakley, who wasn't ever, you know, it was a high draft pick, but Oak wasn't ever the most talented guy on the floor, but he took the the responsibility of playing professional basketball with the highest level and and he approached the game with that intensity. He was a professional. He played hard. He'd knock your ass down, but then he'd shake your hand afterwards and tell you you were soft, but he still shook your hand and treated (laughs) that way. I think the mix of basketball becoming big business in the 90s, but also having that level of discipline, responsibility, know-how, and understanding of, okay, we want to win. We want to be a team. And the teams that won then understood, okay, you know, Mike won a bunch in the 90s, but then the Rockets won a bunch. Like, okay, we're going to win. We got to throw this bitch into Hakeem. That's how we're going to win. That team understood that. Like, it was no other way around winning that way. So that's what I love the most. And and to your point, when I still play my in my wash pickup games, I still play with that same mentality and understanding of playing it the right way. Scott, Penny, Mav, man. Can't thank you guys enough for rocking with me here at the after party on WRTS. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you thank all you for joining us, man. Honestly, me. this thank has you. been amazing. Be sure to subscribe right here on the Uninterrupted YouTube channel. For podcast listeners, head to the Uninterrupted WRTS feed, available wherever you get your pods. Back next week, episode five, signing off. Peace. Peace.